And right now, the internet is the metaverse to an extent. The only difference here is that it's not truly decentralized and you didn't have ownership on the internet before. Now you have ownership through the blockchain. So that means that the internet is now becoming more metaverse-like because people can own their own assets. They can interact with the blockchain just through their web explorer. And the front ends to the metaverse are right now, they're almost non-existent. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the premier weekly podcast that dissects the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. I'm Bernard Leong, and a major breakthrough of Web3 is to enable the concept of play to earn and NFTs with blockchain technology that bring about financial inclusion and the building of the open metaverse. I'm joined by Alexander Larson, co-founder of Sky Mavis, the company behind the pioneer leading crypto game Axie Infinity. Truth be told, to start off with a disclaimer, I have AXS tokens and a Ronin wallet for staking the tokens as well. Hi, Alexander. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Bernard. Happy to be here. And as I said, congratulations on having both the AXS tokens and I guess Ronin. It's been quite the journey over the past couple of months. And I've been following the game with great interest, even started funding scholars to play the Axie Infinity games as well. So as is our tradition for first-time guests to tell their origin story, how do you start your career that eventually led you to just before Sky Mavis? I think my story is very untraditional. I mean, I'm a college dropout. I went to one of the better universities here in Norway. So probably should, should start a little bit there. So I'm 35 years old. Over the past four years, I've been with Sky Mavis. But before that, I dropped out of college. I was a competitive gamer. And I was working for the Norwegian state while I was doing my Norwegian gameplay stuff on the side. And then I kind of fell in love with blockchain after learning about it. I think it was late 2017 when CryptoKitties came into the market. And I really just started playing so much CryptoKitties and, and meeting the other guys in the team, just playing that game. And then eventually we decided to make this company together. And I moved to Vietnam and I lived in, in Vietnam for almost two years. And I traveled a lot around in Asia. I really do love Asia. So I love Vietnam. I've been in Singapore, Hong Kong, Japan, Korea. So yeah, I definitely want to go back once things are opening up. But yeah, my origin story is being a competitive gamer, just kind of being tired of the status quo of normal games. And I wanted to make the game that I thought I would love myself. And then it really fit with the other co-founders of Sky Mavis and Axie. Before you tell that story behind Axie Infinity, I wanted to know what are the key lessons from your career journey that you can share with my audience? When I was like a competitive gamer, one of the things that I learned there is that it's pretty unfair, actually. Only the absolute best players in the world actually get some kind of reward. And even if you are, I was the top 200 player in Europe in Dota for, for some time, but I really could never break into you know the top 100 or the top 10 in the world because it's really, really hard to get in there. So I, what I would say is that that really you know sparked an interest in my mind where I wanted to make things a little bit more equitable for all of the gamers. Maybe they should be able to tap into, into the value that's being generated inside these games. And then I started thinking, well, what if not only the game studios who are generating this, this money inside the games can get some money back? So that, that's it. And, and then we started Axie and, and that's basically what we did. We started just sharing the revenue that was flowing into the game with the players who, who are playing it and just kind of remaking the business model from there. And so what I would say, that's one part on the business side. But generally speaking, like I had a lot of rough times as well because I've come in, I was kind of underperforming academically. And I didn't feel like it was particularly exciting even to be in the normal industry. So I was just kind of wandering around a little bit. And then I 
started focusing. So I think everything is about focus, finding something that you love that really fits your skill set. So for me, it was gaming and business because I had that business thing from my school and the entrepreneurial drive to, to actually make something myself and make some change because I, I was never good at taking orders from others, I would say. So if someone was telling me, hey, can you do that? I was like, well, why? Why do I have to do that? Why can't we do it in this way? So I think that's a very standard thing for entrepreneurs, right? They want to change things. And so we come to the main subject of the day, XE Infinity by Sky Mavis. Just a quick intro. XE Infinity is a trading and battling game launched in 2018, created by Sky Mavis, a gaming studio from Vietnam in Southeast Asia, where I lived in. One key innovation is based on the concept of a blockchain-based play-to-earn model which could create more aligned incentives between game creators and game players for the long term. The company has recently raised a US $152 million at nearly $3 billion valuation led by the famous Silicon Valley venture capital firm Anderson Horowitz. So to start, since we just talked about it earlier, what is the inspiration behind Axie Infinity and how did you and your other co-founders come together and build it into its present form. As I mentioned, the fact that we just wanted to change things inside the gaming industry. I mean, we saw that there was an opportunity here when CryptoKitties came into the market and it was like, okay, it actually makes sense for NFTs to have a use case inside games, right? Okay, well, NFTs, what can they be used for other than games? Well, they're the perfect vehicle for you can make experiences on top of them. So we kind of went through the journey where we just wanted to make first one game. And then we saw that the opportunity here is just massive to, to do something, not only just a game, but we want to make a platform so that other people can make their own games inside Axie. And then eventually we realized that, hey, we can't actually make all of those things until we've solved all the underlying problems, which are there on the infrastructure level. When we started, everything was very decentralized. And then eventually we started centralizing some things here and there because it just, it allows for a better user experience for everyone. And then before Exit Infinity actually reached rocket-like growth, what are the early days like? And what are the key things that the team have done to hit that tipping point? And so the early days were pretty hard, I must say. I mean, so when I came to Vietnam, I think early in 2018, we had just raised some money from, we sold assets in a seed sale of these, these very early axes. And the, the crypto market was really high up in price and we were super bullish on NFTs and Ethereum. So we held a lot of our financial treasury in Ether. So we were going to sell, we always go, oh, we're going to sell tomorrow. Maybe we'll sell tomorrow. And then in the end, we never sold. <laughs> so that was one part of it. The financials of the company, we almost got wrecked there because we didn't really spend that much money. We never did. But the, the fact that we had our treasury in Ether really just was a massive mistake. I think that was you know one part that was really tough. And also we didn't know any investors. I'd never spoken to an investor in my life. And I was the one who was doing the fundraising. And we didn't necessarily know everyone who was what kind of roles people would be better at. So when I came in, maybe I was destined to be something else, but it turned out that, hey, I mean, I'm pretty good at talking to investors. So maybe I'll just do that. That was my part. So I lead the entire business area of Axie, partnerships, all that stuff. And then we have Jeff on the other side, uh, who's also good at business, but he's nice. He's really great at communicating with the community. So he does that, but then we're helping out each other. So I do a little bit of community. He does a little bit of business. And then it's, it's a pretty nice synergy there. But it took a, a couple of months until we could figure that out. But one of the things that we were always doing is we were chatting with the players that we had. We almost had no players. 
you know, we were chatting there every day. So we were doing unscalable things for such a long time that in the end, I think the players really fell in love with our way of communicating and being real. We didn't do it because there wasn't any money in the space then. So it was, it was really starting to get to the bear market. And a lot of people were losing faith, but we were there, we were shipping, we were delivering. So we were always bullish about Axie. It just it turned out it takes a really long time to make the game that we wanted to. So when you're looking at the tipping point, it probably came in mid-2020. So we shipped the first Axie game late 2018. And it kind of went its toll all the way through 2019, which is very, what can I call it? It was, it was an AFK battle type of game where you could just queue your axi and your opponent would queue and you would battle against each other it wasn't really dynamic or fun to do any sort of pve or pvp so what they needed to do was we actually remade the entire game and then we shipped that in early 2020 and, and then mid 2020 it really started to take off and that means that people started to discover that hey these guys have the SLP token, SLP, you can be traded for money because there is demand because other people want to breed. So that was the first trigger. And then eventually, as we, as we changed our infrastructure of breeding from Ethereum to Ronin, you know, that's really when things started to take off. And that was earlier this year. So there are very clear triggers. The first thing was the AFK battle game. Then it was the other, you know, the more dynamic game that we have now. And then Ronin as an integration. Now, what we're doing now is, is releasing the, the next battle game. So we think that could be a yet another innovation here. Before we continue, I want to focus a little bit on baselining where we are. Can you share the concept of what play to earn means and how it means for money that flows through the entire Axie Infinity ecosystem? Yeah, sure. So you know, in Axie, when, when we were designing the system, we were thinking about how can we make a token that's not totally useless? <laughs> uh, because there were so many bad tokens at the time. So I, I never wanted to put out the token that was just like a payment asset or anything like that. So the governance tokens were starting to gain some traction, but I feel like nobody really did that in a good way. So what we did is we decided to take, you know, 100% of the revenue, the future revenue that's flowing into Axie. And then we, we decided to put that into the treasury. And that treasury then will be governed by the holders of, of the AXS token. And then we're distributing the AXS token through gameplay so that the ownership will be distributed to the players or the users of the actual product. And I think that is such a major breakthrough or it's something that we see a lot of people love, but that's not the only thing. It's also related to how we are, how we're making the revenue inside Axie. So in traditional gaming, the idea is always to extract as much value from the players as you can. In Axie, we, we actually prefer that the players are making money between each other. So in terms of trading, right? So we can act as sort of a government and take a small tax on each trade uh, so that we are creating the underlying platform and we are creating the underlying entertainment so that people can just, you know, play, have fun, and then they can trade and we take a cut on that. And if they want to buy stuff directly from us, which is basically like they need to uh, breed for a new Axie, then there's more of a, of a split where the, our take rate is a little bit higher. So I think that's a little bit of how the, the money is flowing. So everything that Axie Infinity earns is being put into a treasury. And I think that treasury today has, has almost got $3 billion in there, where some of that is in AXS and some of that is in Ether. And the great thing here is that all of that is, is also public on the blockchain. So anyone can see exactly how much money is in, is in this treasury. And I suppose this treasury is growing, of course, with new players coming in and more people staking with the Ronin chain as well, right? It has Actually, it has nothing to do with the Ronin token at all. The Ronin token is a separate thing, which is related to the Ronin blockchain. So in SkyMavis, we have different products. And each of these products, to make it 
possible to reach viral growth, they will have their token, right? So we think tokens are the perfect vehicle for growth. So AXS, it's designed only for Axie Infinity. It's designed to grow the Axie Infinity game. And then we have Ronin, which is you know designed as a security token for the Ronin network. And it's required to actually validate. For those who are, are functioning as validators, they will need to have Ronin tokens in their validator. And for those who want to use the, the Ronin network for trading, they will need to use Ronin tokens as gas. So it's the same type of situation uh, what you might have in Ethereum. How does this play-to-earn model enable financial inclusion? Can you talk about how X-Infinity helped gamers in the Philippines to earn during the COVID-19 pandemic the last year, and even this year as well? Interesting thing with, with that story is we didn't know exactly how big it would be, but we had an inclination that something special is going to happen when people figure out that, hey, they can actually make some money inside the game. It's pretty unheard of. But the cost to get started was all, always pretty high. So you couldn't really just start to play the game if you maybe just had $20, $30. Maybe you would have to buy an Axie for $100. And then, you know, in the bear market, the price also dropped a little bit. So, so Axies were sometimes, I think, for sale for even $5 to $10. So that means that some people around the world, they, they could start to play the game and experiment a little bit with it. And when the price was at its super, super low point, we started seeing that some players in the Philippines, in a specific country or in a specific uh, region, they were playing so much Axie and it had started going viral there in that one village. And these guys were owning their own Axies because at that point, anyone could buy them because they were so cheap. And then the price started going up because more people started to realize it. And what happened in that village is that the earliest guys who had got into Axie, they started creating you know, their own teams or scholarships, as it's called, in Axie, so that they could share the Axies that they had purchased for cheaply with other players there. And then the, the revenue or the rewards that those other players they found inside the game, they were shared with the person who was the original owner of the Axie. And that's really how the scholarship model became popular. So the scholarship model basically means that if you own many, many axes, then you can share those uh, with other players and the, and the revenue then is, is shared. Can you describe at a high level on the game mechanics of Axie Infinity for anyone out there today who wants to get into playing the game? Sure, yeah. So at the very high level, Axie Infinity is a digital pet universe or game where you have your cute Axie game characters that you can use in different type of games. Some of those games are made by us, the battle game that probably your scholars are playing. And then there is a breeding game where you generate new axes. And then now we're also building out like kingdoms or typical like Clash of Clowns type of game. And then kind of it will go on from there where our belief is that these game characters, they will have lives of their own eventually where or other uh, players will make games for them. So turning it into more of a user generated component platform. So I think Axie Infinity has the potential to really be something much more than it is today. But we still see that we have over 2.5 million daily active players. So people are currently loving the game that we have available right now. Can you explain why there are two tokens, right? There is the Axie Infinity token and the Smooth Love Potion, which is called the SLP. And what are the functions that power the entire ecosystem? Since giving the gamers actually going into the system and then they try to play the game as such. So the AXS token, it's the governance token for the entire Axie Infinity game. And those who own it, they can stake it and they can generate new AXS tokens on the ones that they own. And it also gives them a right to vote on big changes inside Axie in the future. 
to determine what is the the treasury going to be spent for. So so I guess we'll see what happens there. For now, though, they're you know, a little bit on the <laughs> some regulatory gray area there. We'll see exactly how much uh, rights the token holders can give. But I would also like to point out that it's not a security in that sense, because you will also have to do some work uh, with the AXS token in the future. Now, that might be uh, maybe you need to have some scholars or other things to be able to participate in the system as it was designed. So I think that's the way we kind of working a little bit around that. And then you have the SLP token, which is it was called Small Love Potion. Now it's called the Smooth Love Potion. It, it has one use case and one use case alone, and that is the breeding for a new Axie. So in every breeding transaction, there are two components, or three, I should say. You need two Axies. That's the first one, who are their capacity to breed has not been maxed out. So, so that's the, the first component. And then the other component is the SLP token. You need a certain amount of SLP token, which is determined based on the parameters for the first axis. So if you have axes who have been bred many, many times, it will be more expensive in SLP. So you will need more SLP to breed. And at the same time, you also need AXS tokens, which then again go to us. So whenever an axis is being bred, the AXS part, it goes into the treasury and the SLP part, it gets burned. So for, for those players who are owning a lot of SLP, the, the only way to get it is actually to play the game. So we, as a game studio, we're not selling SLP. So each SLP that is in existence is actually the direct cause of someone who has been playing the game. And I think that's really unique because in other game studios, what you see is that they will sell the in-game currency. But for us, we don't even sell it. We would prefer that people would find it inside the game. And then there is the, the demand is then created by other players who, instead of wanting to play, they just want to play the breeding game. So they will, you know, just buy SLP tokens so they can breed for new axes and participate in that metagame. So what I see is I think that's incredibly exciting because then you have different roles and, and different, you know, archetypes of players that are arriving in the ecosystem. You know, some are only players or grinders. They only play to get SLP. And then you have the marketplace guys who are trading. They are selling axes back and forth to make a profit there. And then you have also the breeders who are breeding many axes, purchasing SLP so that they can supply for the traders, right? I think it's a very interesting mechanic. Then how do non-fungible tokens, aka NFTs, enter into Axie Infinity then? All axes are NFTs. So when we started building Axie Infinity early in 2018, you know, the the NFT standard wasn't even set. So the first axes that were deployed on Ethereum, they were they are really legacy. So if you go to Etherscan and you, you, you check for Axie, you can even see that it says that these were deployed before the, the ERC-721 NFT standard was officially recognized by Ethereum. So what that means is obviously that we've been in the game early and we, we, we understand what NFTs are at a very, very deep level. So all axes are unique. The metadata is stored on the blockchain so that you can you know, then uh, go to our website and, and see what does this token give me? What kind of access levels does it give me? So and if you sell it, you can't use it inside the game. So specifically, AXS actually leveraged Ronin blockchain, which you have to build from scratch. Can you talk about the rationale why your team decided to build your own chain instead of relying on the Ethereum blockchain? I know about the high gas fees, but I think the general listener of this podcast who may not be very familiar with gas fees and also the amount of time to process transactions that matters. 
Yeah, so as a game studio and gamers, we're used to things happening fast. <laughs> and when you are then considering how slow the Ethereum blockchain is per block, it, it, it's just several seconds. It could even 10, 12, 15. Some blocks are incredibly slow to process. And what it means is just that if we want to have a lot of game logic on the chain, it, it's impossible. So that means that you have to take a step back and, and do some things off-chain and some things on-chain. The on-chain can just be the storage of the game characters themselves, because when people are trading, you can accept that. So we did that from early 2018 because the gas fees were very low because Ethereum wasn't used as much because people didn't understand the value of a decentralized blockchain. So for us, that was great because we could experiment a little bit. But as more and more people started to realize the, the possibilities of Ethereum, like especially with DeFi, the block space started to fill up. So more and more people wanted to store their data on Ethereum. So it became impossible for our players to compete for Ethereum block space. Basically, it just didn't make financial sense when you want to list an asset for, let's say, $5 if you want to pay gas fees for $50. Like that, That's just a bad experience. And I think we realized that really very, very early in the history of Axie. So we were always looking for scaling solutions. And we, we even tried a third-party scaling solution called Blue Network. But, but what it turned out is that when you're building something so early, a lot of people who are trying to solve your problems, they, they don't really understand what they're solving for. So what we realized is that our capacity as a team is actually perfect to building infrastructure as well. So we had infrastructure engineers, we had this talent in, in the founding team even. So it turned out that maybe we should just build it ourselves so that that means that we can control our own destiny. And that's when we, we figured that we would make Ronin because we also saw that, you know, that the space was very open and the opportunity, the market size would be much, much bigger. So what we're creating now is Ronin. And the Ronin network is a fork of the Ethereum virtual machine. So what that means is that we're still very connected to Ethereum. Any innovation that happens on, on the Ronin network will also benefit Ethereum. And then it goes to the opposite side as well. So if Ethereum has more innovation, you know, we can potentially fork that off and use it on, on the Ronin as well. And we can test it to the limits. And I think that's the beauty of open source software, right? So we can really make sure that it's tested to the limits. So I think for, for Ronin, I'm very excited about the future. I think it has the potential to be one of the largest. It is already the largest layer two side chain of them all. It's just that people don't really know about it because it's only made for Axie. But for us, that's also fine. I think when it hits the market, it's pure, minds are going to be exploding when they, when they realize the, the value of Ronin, actually. So now, of course, there is a, there is a campaign where you can, if you stake your, your LP tokens on the Katana Dex, you can get some Ronin tokens and reward. And that's our way to you know, have this reward the users on our network. I'm just about to get there. Recently, you launched Katana, the decentralized exchange or Dex where players can gain liquidity easily or trade on the running side chain. Why not leverage on the existing decks out there instead of building one? Is it more because of convenience for the players? It's exactly that, right? So when we were looking at other options as well, we saw what was in the market, but working alongside some of these other studios is not always ideal for us either, because we might have special integrations that that we need for our players. And, and if we do it in our own way, we can also capture more value there. So we made the Cotano Dex, which can basically just seen, be seen as the extension of our own marketplace. So in Axie, we have our own NFT marketplace, which has transacted for over $3 billion so far. I think it's 3.3 billion. And that's only for NFTs. 
And I think since the launch of the Katana Dex, it's been almost, I think, four or $500 million in volume there. Like, I think on average, it's about $60 million or something. Yeah, it's a little bit over $1 billion in trading volume since we launched uh, earlier this month and just like fungible tokens. So so that's, uh, we're really happy about the launch of Katana. I think it's great. And the most important thing for us here is that it's very deep liquidity for, for the players so that they can trade their assets very seamlessly. So right now it's over $1.2 billion locked in liquidity on Katana, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, that was very, very quick. I saw the $1 billion locked in liquidity, I think somewhere around two, three weeks ago, if I didn't remember wrongly reading one of the newsletters. I want to ask mm-hmm. you this. So in your perspective, how do you see the concept of metaverse from the perspective of XC Infinity? I know, I know people have been dangling this word metaverses. Everyone has his own interpretation, but I just wanted to get a sense of that from you. I like to compare the metaverse to a, a massive multiplayer online game. And when I say that, what I mean is that everyone is playing on the same server. I think that's the most important thing. And right now, the internet is the metaverse to an extent. The only difference here is that it's not truly decentralized and you didn't have ownership on the internet before. Now you have ownership through the blockchain. So that means that the internet is now becoming more metaverse-like because people can own their own assets. They can interact with the blockchain just through their web explorer. And the front ends to the metaverse are right now, they're almost non-existent. So you would have games like Axie and, and, and the Sandbox, for example, who are leaning into this metaverse kind of, how can I say, narrative. And then you have, for example, OpenSea, where I think a lot of the, the metaverse is happening right now because people can... You, you go into OpenSea and you see all the assets that are for sale there, you know, that's the beginning of the metaverse. So I think that's for me, I think it's a shared server, a shared server state where everyone can see who has the same assets and interact with each other. To me, that is the internet. So I think it's a very buzzwordy. I don't believe that the metaverse is, it doesn't have to be the 3D environment that you're zooming into. That That's not really my my definition of the metaverse, that that's just a front end for the metaverse that people can play with Mark Zuckerberg's, whatever VR, it doesn't matter to me. The most important thing here is that the assets are stored somewhere where everyone can see what's in there, like where, where people can potentially uh, interact with each other in, in an open way. Yeah, characters can become part of a story, part of a movie, part of this entire share universe that everyone can interact with. A little bit like the Ready Player One, but without the VR, AR piece as well. I think, you know, that's already happening on on Ethereum through basically Discord right now and various Discords, but, but it's still so early, right? I think the problem with having this Ready Player One, like VR type of world is that who is going to own it? And if you have the wrong owner of the metaverse, I mean, can someone own the internet? Like, it doesn't make sense to me. So I don't see that happening, right? You would need you need different pockets of the internet for different things, right? I mean, and, and then maybe in the future, we'll see someone else you know, make something that's really owned by everyone. It's a good that's created for the better of humanity. I think that maybe a crypto billionaire can make something like that. That's the open metaverse we are talking about. Yeah. I'm curious to ask this. I have been a World of Warcraft player. I played Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. I played Magic the Gathering, all kinds of games. One common fear in all these games before blockchain technologies came about is that early adopters or players typically gain an advantage in power level before everyone comes into it. It creates a kind of what you call power level instability, which we always talk about in games. I do recall that Magic the Gathering had figured out how to deal with this kind of instability using economics. I just wanted to get your point of view. Do you think this type of instability will become an issue 
for Exit Infinity in the future because you're trying to onboard more people to come into your ecosystem? Or is it something that you already have been thinking about how to deal with this type of power level instability? Yeah, I think this is one of the hardest questions for all game designers who are beginning to make something on the blockchain, right? Because the reason why people are buying in early is because they think they can get a benefit, right? In my opinion, that benefit should actually be mostly economical rather than gameplay skill focused. Like sometimes skill equals the ability to earn as well. Like, especially as you get higher in the in the metagame, let's say like in tournaments and such, but that's another type of skill level, which if you're messing around too much with that, it's, it's really a bad experience for everyone. So what you would have to say is that, let's say if you're buying something amazing in terms of gear, that means that you can farm faster in a certain parts of the game, but like it doesn't give you a bonus inside the PvP type of game so that it's still even there. I think that's one way of looking at the very basic level of, of game design, because if not, you're probably going to break it for, for those who just want to have fun inside the PvP mode. And then it's a very complex type of questions. And I think, you know, power creep. I mean, I'm a personal, I've been a been a Magic the Gathering player for, for 20 years as well. So I think they've, they've been able to do it quite elegantly. It's like a circle almost. <laughs> they're, they're starting out pretty powerful and it's kind of tweaking it down a little bit and then suddenly it becomes a little bit stronger. It's a very long-term thing to consider. I, I would say that in Axie, we're not scared of nerfing cards or nerfing characters that, that are too strong as long as it's to the benefit of everyone else or everyone in the entire game. The only challenge here is that how do we protect the users who have spent significant amounts of money on these axes? And our answer to that is, you know, we try to make sure that we're protecting the value in some way. But we're also saying that this is a game. We have to make changes for the greater good. And we need to make sure that everyone is aligned with that. But some things that we never change is, for example, the scarcity of the assets. Like if we're saying that for mystic axes, there are only so and so many in existence, like there could be only, let's say 1600 of those axes in existence, like there will never be more. And the same for origin axes, there will never be more than I think 4,088. So these are the promises and they're also written in smart contracts and that's things that we will never change. And I think that's one way of looking at, like you can protect rarity as collectibles, and then you can look at gameplay from another angle. That's a very interesting balance. And I probably at some point would get you to talk about this again in the future. I'm very curious to ask you this final question. What does great look like for the XC Infinity in the next three years? The things that I'm most excited about right now is going to market with the new Axie Infinity Origins game this winter. That's going to be an easier game to play. We can list it hopefully on the Apple stores of the world or on the app stores, I should say. So Apple store, you know, Google Play, really do some more traditional marketing, have Axie events all across the world, AxieCon, World Championships, ship merchandise stores, and really partner with strong celebrities, do massive partnerships inside the game. I think the Axie brand is so strong that I would love to see even animes and, and all of this cool stuff, Axie movies. I mean, these are real things that are now on the table because we raised all this money and like Axie is a big player in this space right now. So I think that's actually more on the medium term. On the long term, I'm very excited about land gameplay in Axie so that people can, who own land, they can harvest some resources, they, they can host games on top of the land and it can evolve into more of a virtual world where maybe players can be in, and play there more in 3D. So that is also incredibly exciting to me. Of course, there are challenges along the way, but I see Axie as, I don't think I'm ever going to be working on something as important as Axie in my entire life ever. So for me, it's like, well, this is my life's work. 
So that's why I can really say that, hey, I'm, I'm working 12 hours every day on this thing for almost four years now. And I'm still not tired of it because I think the potential here is actually massive because we're really changing things in the world. And that's something that I'm excited about. And I think that a lot of people are very excited about Axie too, because it's so new, right? And it has such a strong fan base and fandom around the world, like because it's changed the lives of so many people. I think that is something that you really can't underestimate. And that's why I think people should be very, very bullish on Axie compared to all of these other games that are coming up. Because how many games are being launched each year? It's not like you can just smack on NFTs or a business model and it's going to be an amazing game. Like Then it has to be some true innovation. And that's what Axie was. There can only ever be one specific place in time where Axie Infinity was created. It's a little bit like Bitcoin. But the first thing that really sets the standard is unique. And it will have a special place in people's heart. But of course, other than Bitcoin, we can still keep, you know, <laughs> developing more and more stuff a little bit more aggressively. I'm looking forward to all the new different gameplays that are coming out in the next couple of years. So mm -hmm. Alexander, many thanks for coming on the show. And thank you for taking through the story of XC Infinity and some of the interesting discussions during this conversation. I want to ask two questions more. Any recommendations that have inspired you recently? It's been so long since I played a game lately, other than Axie, that I've been playing a little bit of Age of Empires 4. And I think that inspires me to think even more strategically about Axie and long-term, try to do many things. Like I do love kind of a good real-time strategy game because real-time strategy games really make, makes you more poised to take decisions fast and trust your gut even more and more and more. So as a competitive type of person, I love that type of stuff. So I think on a game side, I would recommend playing a little bit of Age of Empires 4, other than Axie, of course. Maybe on a book side, I mean, I'm, I've been, after seeing Dune, the movie, I, I started reading the book again. I've read that book so many times. So I would recommend people who haven't read it to, to read Dune. Thank you so much for the recommendation. I'm pretty sure I'm going to get my hands on each of Empires for once it's on the Mac version because I've been playing my StarCraft real-time strategy game for too long. I think they don't make a lot of these games these days, but I always look forward to that. How do my audience find you? Yeah, sure. They can find me on Twitter at psychout86 there. I'm verified now. I think I have over 100,000 followers on Twitter. So that's pretty extreme considering I'm really not tweeting that much, but it should be a testament to, to the game more so than my tweeting skills. But of course, you know, yeah, find me on Twitter at psychout86 or make sure also to follow Axie Infinity on Twitter because that's where, where all the good stuff is happening. Can I ask why psychout86? Is there numbering or some words that you use to create? Yeah, I mean, I'm born in 1986 and Psychout was taken. Like, Psychout has been my gamer tag for, I think, almost 20 years now. So I, I remember there is a movie called Based Kitball, and it's created by Matt Stone and Trey Parker, who are the creators of South Park. And they made that movie, and it was so... I just loved it when I was younger because one of the things that they did there, they were trying to psych out the opponents when he was throwing the ball, and they could do all sorts of crazy stuff. And I was like, okay, this is something cool. And I feel like I want to play mind games sometimes with people. So I like that name. And then I then I just call myself that. Spoken like a true competitive gamer. <laughs> <laughs> you can definitely Google our podcast anywhere and you can find us on any podcast platform. And of course, give us a five-star review and tweet to me at AnalyzeAsia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E Asia. And Alexander, once again, many thanks for coming on the show. And I look forward to speak to you again soon. Thank you, Bernard. Run it, run it, run it.